0: Why don't you bow your heads with me for a word of prayer? Father, we just want to give you thanks tonight that you're here with us this evening. This is not, Lord, just some kind of gathering place, some kind of meeting of random people. But this is your very place, Lord, where you meet us, where you speak to us, where you can transform our lives, where you can open our hearts to understand some of the deeper things of God. And we ask you tonight, Lord, that you'd speak to us. We ask you tonight, you'd help us to understand the relevant impact of King David and the lessons that we can learn from his life. They have relevance and meaning to our very day-to-day existence. And if we miss the lessons he learned, we'll miss God. If we miss the lessons he learned, we may ruin our lives, as David almost did. We ask you, Lord, please speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the third week of this series, The Bible People Who Shaped Me. I had to be gone to Omaha last week, but it's great to be back. And next week we'll continue the series, and we're going to get into some of the New Testament people that shaped my life. But tonight we're going to finish up on David. <clears throat> I don't know how to sort of succinctly in just a few moments give you the last three weeks. If you're just here tonight, please go to strongdisciple.com and you'll find all the messages there and you can find this one. It's called The Bible People Who Shaped Me. <clears throat> but I want to give you at least a picture of why David had such an impact on my life. I grew up going to church. And to be honest with you, it bored me. I was bored with church. I walked away from church when I was 15. Church did not seem masculine to me. It did not seem meaningful to me. And in fact, today, the majority of men do not find church relevant. On any given weekend, you'll find almost 65% of everyone in church is female. About 35% are male the rest stay away. And I believe one of the reasons they stay away is because God has been misrepresented and because the men of the Scripture have been misrepresented. Because they don't understand the relevant, powerful impact that God can have in their life. David, if you were going to picture David, you would picture Aragorn from Lord of the Rings. Now, I could give you Tristan from Tristan and his soul. I could give you the guy from 300, but that wouldn't be a good movie for you to see. <clears throat> so we'll just talk about Aragorn from Lord of the Rings. David was a ferocious man. David was not a, <clears throat> a little weak, puny, sissified Christian. David was a ferocious warrior. Not just when he was 15 and he killed Goliath. But when with his mighty men he fought literally tens of thousands of Philistines and himself with one other man killed 600 in a single day in a single battle when all his other men, other than the mighty men, fled, David and one of his three stood back to back fighting all day and all night long. The Jewish nation followed David, the Bible tells us, because David led them into battle. And David won great victories. In fact, everything David did was successful. David saved King Saul's kingdom time and time again from the Philistines. David was a man's man. David was a lover of God. He loved God. He honored God. David wrote over half of the most beloved text of the entire Bible, half of the book of Psalms. Almost 73 Psalms are attributed to David. David was not a perfect man. And tonight, I have four things that I want to share with you. But the last one, the last one I want to share with you is David's great mistakes. And how God used those to shape my life. And trust me, they're things you're dealing with in your life. And if you don't learn from them, you're headed for a lot of trouble. But the first one that I want to share tonight that had a tremendous impact on my life is found in Psalm 55. I grew up, to be real honest, in a nice Christian Baptist church where we had nice Christian prayers. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank Thee today for Thy abundant goodness, and we ask Thee that Thou would guide and direct our and bless the food that we are about to eat in the hands that made them. Amen. That's what I knew of prayer. I was recently sharing at um, some of the things I'm going to share with you tonight, with a group of pastors and wives. And I was talking to them about the reality of being real with God. And I've often shared this with you, but many have not heard me here tonight. If you want God to be real to you, then start being real with God. If you treated your friends like you treat God, you have no friends. You only have friendship because you communicate. And God desires to hear what's on your heart. And there's a lot of things going on in your heart. Well, I began to read my Bible. I began to see the reality of how David communicated. Listen to my prayer, God. Do not ignore my cry for help. Please listen and answer me. For I am overwhelmed by my troubles. My enemies shout at me. They make loud and wicked threats. They bring trouble on me. They hunt me down in their anger. My heart is in anguish. I don't know if you've ever felt anguish. Some of you here are probably a little too young yet to have experienced anguish. Anguish might be what you feel when your mom and dad divorced and you first find out about it. Anguish might be what you find out when all of a sudden you find people are posting really awful things about you on Facebook. Anguish is when someone you love is sick for years and you pray and you pray and nothing seems to get them better and you watch them suffer. Anguish is when you've invested your life in someone, loved them, led them to Christ, and they proclaim they're your closest friend and then they turn on you like David had happened to him. Anguish is a strong Emotional word. The terror of death overpowers me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me, and I can't stop shaking. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is the guy who killed Goliath. This is the guy who took Goliath's head and held it up by its hair and scared all the Philistine army away and then carried it back home. You mean David? 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 Struggled with fear. David was shaking. Oh, how I wish I had wings like a dove. Then I would fly away and rest. I would fly far away in the quiet wilderness. Destroy them, God. Kill them. I like that. Yes, I've prayed that before. There's things going on in the world right now that I pray the Lord kills them and defends the innocent. Its walls are patrolled day and night against invaders, but the real danger is the wickedness in the city. Murder and robbery are everywhere. Threats and cheating are rampant. It is not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It is not my foe who arrogantly insults me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion, my close friend. What good fellowship we enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. Oh, betrayal. Remember Braveheart. Remember when he was betrayed by Earl of Bruce? One of the most painful, gut-wrenching scenes to me. I saw that movie when I myself was going through something unbelievably excruciating from someone who was a coworker who I loved, who I built into, and and I, I could not believe the things that were now being said about me. Saul was vicious with David. David was real with God. David didn't bring up some nice platitudes. Oh, God, grant me thy comfort and thy peace. Uh, God, I'm scared to death. I want to give up. I want to quit. I want to get out of here. Oh, my gosh, if we've learned to communicate with God, you would find... Such therapy in the presence of God. Psalm 62, let me read this to you. <clears throat> I'll only read part of it because I don't have time to read all of it. But you have to read this sometime. But David is praying again, and he says this. They, they plan to topple me from my high position. They delight in telling lies about me. They're friendly to my face, but they curse me in their hearts. I don't know if you ever had that happen, but, but I have. I've had horrible things said about me on the web. I've had horrible things said about me. And it's just, the Bible says telling lies about someone is as terrible as killing them. That's what Proverbs says. David had this happen. But he said, I wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. He's my rock. He's my salvation, my fortress, where no one can get to me. My salvation and my honor come from the Lord alone. He's my refuge, my rock, where no enemy can get to me. Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him. God is our refuge. Another way to say that is, dump on God. I've been working with a young man I've known since he was two. He's in a recovery program. He's making tremendous progress, and we met the other day for lunch, yesterday, and and he was, I've been sharing with him how, how incredibly important it is to learn to go on prayer walks, to learn to get up and get out there and talk to God about what's on your heart, what's really on your heart, what you're really feeling, what you're really thinking. He told me the other day, he said, Mark, I've been, I've been doing what you told me. You know, how you share just to go out and just talk to God. Out loud, talk to God. If you have to put a Bluetooth on and pretend you're on the phone talking to God, my gosh, you talk to your friends. Some of you are selling, sending 5,000 texts a month talking to your friend. You learn to talk to God. God's with you all the time, and he's available, See? And no one tells you this. Well, anyway, getting back to this pastor's wife's thing, then I'll get to this guy. So I'm, I'm sharing these things at this pastor's and wife's time. And at the end, this young pastor's wife comes up to me with tears in her eyes, big tears. She says, Mark, she said, I grew up in the evangelical free church. And she said, what you shared today was the most freeing thing I have ever heard in my life. I mean, what you shared today about prayer, no, I, I never heard in my life. I mean, actually, to be honest, Mark, if I talk to God the way you're talking about here, most of my friends would think I'm being sacrilegious, and they'd think it's wrong. But what you showed me from the Scripture about the prophets and about David, how they prayed, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to use that. Well, this young man, he's begun to do that. And he told me, Mark, for the first time in my life, I'm beginning to understand what you mean, like, from the heart. I'm really feeling connected to God from the heart. That's right, because you've got to talk about what's in your heart. What's in your heart. Now, I've told some of you this before, but this is not an exaggeration. I have prayer walked 28,000 miles. That's around the entire planet Earth once and all the way across New York to California. And I'm not stopping. Every single morning, it's an hour, and I go out and I talk to God. There have been times my prayer time has been me sobbing, talking to God, pouring out my heart for the things that are going on in my life or that I'm struggling with or someone that I love is dealing with and it's touched me deeply. Many of you here in this room, I have talked to God about in tears for your life, for what's going on. This is not a game. We're in a war and the devil wants to take you out. He wants to rape you, slit your throat, and leave you by the side of the road to bleed out and die. He doesn't give a damn about you. The world doesn't give a damn about you. Christ cares about you. And you've got to understand the realities that you're dealing with. He wants to gut you out and destroy your life. And he does it by lying to you. He does it by giving you a false brand of Christianity instead of the real thing. God can bear your burdens. God can handle your words. He can handle your emotion. He can handle your vomit. You got to learn to give it to them. David goes on, did you know in Psalm 55, he says, "Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you." I have gone through things in my life. This fall be 40 years I've been following Christ. I have gone through things that I didn't even When I started this journey, I didn't imagine I would go through this one or this one. As a pastor, some of the most difficult, painful things have happened to me during the almost 30 years I've been a pastor. And I'm telling you, prayer has sustained me. If I had not cast those burdens on God, they would have crushed me. Do you know the number one disability for pastors I couldn't believe this when the guy told me. that Our board of directors decided we needed to get disability insurance. So my buddy and I, we were joking, like maybe we'd trip on the stage and bite our tongue off, couldn't talk, and we'd be disabled. And the guy, he's kind of chuckling when he comes in. He's an older gentleman. He says, well, do you know the number one disability? I said, no. He said, they have a nervous breakdown from all the strain and all The accusations and all the difficulty of dealing with hundreds of people's problems. And boy, let me tell you, I heard that and I'm like, you know what, Lord? And it ain't happening to me. I'm going after you. If you're good enough for David, if you can help David through all the stuff he went through, then you can help me. That's what I got. That's how David shaped me. That's how he shaped me in my relationship with God. David had a very real and honest and open relationship with God, and it became the very model for me in my relationship with God and in my prayer life. He was honest about his frustrations, his sorrows, his fears, his anxieties. I saw how David's prayer life, his honest and emotional way he interacted and connected with God, sustained him, and it gave him strength and brought him to new perspectives. I saw how God answered his prayers, and this became a great pattern for me to follow. Prayer is my great secret in dealing with life. The sixth thing I want to share with you, this is, if we're going through the series, that was number five. This is number six. David handled the injustices done to him with great humility and trust in God. I don't have time to read all of Psalm 37 to you, but I'm I'm going to read just the beginning. And this has been a tremendous psalm. It's a life psalm of mine. A life psalm of mine. Do not worry about the wicked. Don't envy those who do wrong. For like the grass, they soon fade away. Like springtime flowers, they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Do the right thing. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust in him and he will help you. He will make your innocence as clear as the dawn and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait for him. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop your anger. Turn from your rage. Don't envy others. It leads only to harm for the wicked will be destroyed." Those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. In a little while, the wicked will disappear. Though you look for them, they'll be gone. But those who are meek will inherit the land and enjoy plenty of prosperity. And I'll never forget, I was going through a particular time in my life, and I was out at Fort Snelling, and I was walking, I was praying, and I was talking to God, and this situation was excruciatingly painful. And it related to some really awful things, schemes of a few others that were directed directly at me. And <clears throat> was very, very hard. It really made me question why I got into ministry. I thought about just quitting. <clears throat> and getting into another line of work. These were the kind of conversations I was having with the Lord. And I came to this passage. I opened up my Bible as I'm walking. I come to Psalm 37, and I thought about this, and I thought, well, this is really good, Lord. Yeah, that's good too. <clears throat> and then I thought, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth and enjoy plenty of prosperity. And I, I remember thinking, meek, what, what, is, what does meek mean? I don't know what it means. Not exactly. I went home. <clears throat> And I looked it up in the dictionary. Now you just Google it. And it said to endure injury and injustice with great patience and without resentment. And I got on my face. I just said, Oh God, help me with this. This is the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus dealt with the injustice without retaliating. Help me, God, to be like the Lord. And then I began to look at the promise Blessed are the meek, for they win. Eventually, the meek win, and they'll enjoy prosperity. And I just began to pray for these individuals. As Jesus said, pray for those that hurt you. And I just privately just began to pray for them, sometimes through my tears, sometimes through my sobbing. And I just prayed, God, work in their life. God, bless them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand the damage they're doing to others. And I prayed for them. And eventually, I don't have time to tell the story. I won. And it became very clear they were exposed. And God just did it in his own time. But what came to my soul was a deep prosperity. I don't think you understand what David went through. You need to read the story of David in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. Just this weekend, read it. Find out the torment he went through through King Saul. And the incredible injustice. And twice... Saul's life was in David's hands, in a cave, and in the middle of the night, in a camp. And both times he could have killed Saul. Saul was chasing him down with the mightiest army on earth, and David was fleeing with about 600 men for his life. Saul had taken his wife, that was Saul's daughter, Michelle, back, gave her to another man. David had saved Saul's kingdom. Jonathan was David's best friend. Not even Jonathan could stop Saul's insanity and his rageful jealousy. And all over the countryside for eight years, he tried to chase David down and kill him until finally, David, each time that he had Saul's hand, his life in his hand, he cut a little piece of his robe. And when Saul was way down the valley, he came out and said, Saul, why are you chasing me? I have done you no wrong. Why bother with a flea? See this robe, the piece of your robe. Look down. I could have killed you, but I did not. And both times Saul said, you're a more righteous man than I, and then he flew into a rage months later and chased David down. I mean, the injustice, if you think you've dealt with injustice, and I know many of you here have, and it's very real, study the life of of David. You will find incredible comfort in the life of David. The last thing I want to talk to you about tonight is really a big deal, and i got to make sure that I cover it. David's two biggest mistakes in his life became a mighty warning in my own life, and they gave me a passion to avoid them like a plague. And I want to talk to you about them because they're very relevant to you. The first one is David's sin with Bathsheba and his folly with women. I want to talk to young men and women tonight, really honestly tonight. <clears throat> so I was, I, I visit my, my friend who's going through this recovery program and, and he and I have some very honest conversations and <clears throat> he tells me, you know, Mark, there are people who go through this program and then, you know, the next thing you know, they just, they fall away. You know, they, they were doing fine while they're in here and then they fall away. So I said to him, well, do you have any idea what, uh, <clears throat> what the biggest reason is, what's the most recurring? He says, absolutely. <clears throat> he says they get out of here and they don't necessarily go back to drugs or alcohol, they get in a relationship they start having sex. It'll destroy your life. It'll destroy your life. Men listen to me, women will destroy your life. My the uh, I was never afraid when I have four children. <clears throat> all of them are involved here, they're all married. I got seven grandchildren. And I used to tell my kids, I'm not afraid of drugs, I'm not afraid of alcohol. The number one thing that I'm afraid of, I'm going to put the fear of God in you, we are got to understand the scripture together, is the opposite sex. You want your life derailed from God? Then just go the way the world does things. And a woman or a man will derail your life. And this almost destroyed David's life. In fact, quite honestly, oh my gosh, what a horrific example it was to his son Solomon. Because eventually it unraveled Solomon's life. David, you know, he's just following God. He's just doing what God wants him to do. And one night, instead of being in battle, he's up on a roof. He just got up from a nap. He's a little tired. He's a little vulnerable. And he goes up and walks on his roof and he surveys the city. And there he sees just across the way this gorgeous naked woman taking a bath. David was king. He would do whatever he wanted. At least he thought so. He thought he'd get away with whatever he wanted. He thought so. So he invited her to his home. She was a married woman. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. David has her husband killed. Are you kidding me, Mark? This is the guy that wrote 73 Psalms? That's the guy. That's the guy. The guy that shaped you, Mark? Yes, he had a tremendous influence on me, and so did his sin. And it cost David tremendously. It costs David tremendously. We don't get away with those kinds of things. Young person, listen to me tonight. Listen very carefully. The opposite sex will derail your life if you do not go about it in God's way. Your Bathsheba may not be real, by the way. Your Bathsheba may be all over the Internet, and it's ruining your life, and it's rotting you out from the inside. This stuff needs to scare you to death because it will become a rot to your soul. It will rot you out. It will destroy you little by little. The first seven chapters of Proverbs warn over and over and over and over again about the immoral woman, the godless, immoral woman. So men... You really need to study the life of David. You really need to understand what it cost him. I have, you know, I, a part of how I make my living is dealing with broken people. I try to help broken people put their lives back together through Jesus Christ. But it's not only through Jesus Christ, but it's also learning to walk the road of Jesus Christ. You can come to Christ, but if you don't follow His road, you're gonna be in trouble. If you don't walk the righteous path, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to bring pain into your life in a very, very big way. I was talking to my friend again. This was about six months ago, and I pray for him every day. I said to him one day, I said, what's the biggest thing you're afraid of when you get out of here? He goes, hands down, women. Women. So we pray about it. I pray for him. Strengthen his soul. He strengthened his soul. He's beginning to realize, yeah, I can say no. I can stand strong. I must stand strong or it will unravel my life. <clears throat> Affairs will ruin your life. Do not mess around with sexual sin. It, it will become a cancer to your soul. It will be toxic to your spirit. Run from it. Be afraid of it. Very, very, very afraid of it. The devil wants you to think everybody out there is getting away with it. They're not getting away with anything. Do you understand? You always reap what you sow. We have men today, millions of men in marriage, who are incapable of having a meaningful sexual relationship with their wife because they're addicted to porn. And it's everywhere. You see a movie, you never see a husband and wife passionately in love. It's always some guy with his girlfriend or some woman with a married man or some guy with a married woman to someone else. And we've been conditioned. You know who by? Lucifer. He's conditioning you to break you down and destroy your life and ruin your life and ruin your life. As a young man, this almost destroyed my life. I'm, t- I'm telling you from experience, it almost destroyed my life. And this became a, a great, great warning to me, <clears throat> and, and, and it is all these years, it's just, I've just lived in fear. I've made, I, I've, I, stay away, stay away. Just stay. And in fact, I've found, I'll tell you a little secret, man. The more militant I've gotten about it, the more i developed a hatred for it. I mean a hatred. Did you know that hate is a family value? You see that bumper sticker, hate is not a family value? It's a lie. Look up in the Bible on BibleGateway.com the word hate and find out how many times God uses it. The Bible says, hate what is evil and love what is good. And you'll find something very interesting. If you don't actually hate what is good, to the degree you hate is only to the degree you love. To the degree you love has to be balanced by the degree you hate. And if you don't really hate evil, you don't really love righteousness. <clears throat> One day, as, the, as a As a young man, I got to realizing, you know, I don't like liver. My wife, she likes liver. It's okay to like liver. If you like liver and onions, I don't like it. I don't like the smell. I don't like the smell of cooking broccoli. I'll eat it raw. I won't touch it cooked. Boiled eggs. I hate hard boiled eggs. The stench. It just, I just hate it. So my wife, when she's going to make it, I go somewhere and then I come back after she has it all peeled and it's in a baggie in the refrigerator. I don't eat it. I have no trouble staying away from it. Have, how many of you have foods like that? There's a food you're like, oh God, just just turn my nose. It just makes me sick thinking about it. I don't eat Brussels sprouts. I threw them up as a little kid. They tried to make me eat them, and I barfed. <laughs> I am so sick of the Kim Kardashians of the world sticking their butt in my face. Get it out. Get out of my face. Get out of my face. I'm done with these people. This is why I don't watch the sports or the other shows, and I only buy my own DVDs and watch them without the commercials because I'm sick and tired of you just watching a game, and the next thing, bam, boobs in your face. Get them out of my face. And until you develop a passionate hatred, you're never going to get victory. You're never going to be able to run away from it until you decide, you know what, makes me sick, makes me vomit. I'm done with that crap. I'm done with it. And you've got to get ferocious in your life with God. Second thing, and this one, I'm telling you, is unbelievable. David was a terrible, terrible father. And his family and children were a mess. I want to show you a verse. I, some of you know me very well. Some of you do not. And I'm probably scaring you to death, and I'm sorry. I, I, um, I'm I'm really a wonderful guy, and I'm a grandpa, and my grandkids love me, and I want you to know that, okay, but, but, um, but sometimes we got to be shook up a little bit. I want to show you something that I read as a very young man. I I have four children, and uh, I became a father when I was 23, and I was determined, I was determined, and I really mean this, I say this with all humility, with all humility, I was determined to win with everyone. I told the Lord, I told my kids, I'll be damned if the world gets you. I'll be damned over my dead body. Over my dead body. I was passionate. My father, I was the oldest of six children. My father walked away from my, my whole family, my mother. He abandoned her. He abandoned her, penniless, with five children at home. I had just gotten married. His first grandchild was born. He would not know any of my children if they walked across the street. I don't hate my father. I will never be my father. And I will never be David as a father. Never. And I made a covenant with God. I made a commitment with God. And with all my heart, I went after God because I knew if I don't go after God, I am capable of very bad things. By that, by that I mean I'm not going to kill somebody. I mean I'm capable of meanness and harshness and overbearing and a... F- terrible temper and a perfectionist and critical and I would have just picked my kids to death like till they would just despise the ground I walked on and my addiction was Jesus Christ if I don't become like him this family is going to be a mess and I'll I'll get divorced and that's the truth I'm not exaggerating any of this it's the truth I have studied this book. I have read this book and reread this book. I need this book. I need this truth. Every verse in Proverbs on parenting, I underlined it. I went over it and over it. Every time, anything about God the Father being a father, I studied it. Anything about a man failing as a father here, I studied it. What did they do wrong and what got done right? Let me let me before I read this verse, let me just give you the, the rundown here. David's son Amnon raped. His half-sister, Tamar. David's daughter, Tamar, his son raped. Absalom killed his brother, Amnon. Absalom, David's other son, kills the brother that raped the sister. Absalom tries to steal the throne from David, and David flees for his life. King David, dad, the mighty man who kills Goliath, runs from his own boy. Absalom dies, hanging from a tree, and Joab stabs three daggers in his heart. That was the end of David's son. Adonijah, David's other son, makes himself king and tries to steal the kingdom from David when he's an old man. And here's what the Bible reveals about David. Fathers, listen to this. About this time, David's son, Adonijah, whose mother was Haggath, decided to make himself king in place of his old father. So he provided himself with chariots and horses and recruited 50 men to run in front of him, proclaiming, behold, the new king. Now his father, King David, had never disciplined Adonijah at any time in his life, even by asking, what are you doing? You've got, you got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me. Do you see that you can love God? David loved God. He wrote songs about God. But there were still areas of foolishness in his life because he did not take seriously the commands of God about raising our children, about being an example to his own children. And of course, what you sow, you reap. What did David do to Bathsheba's wife? Killed her. Killed the husband. So what does Absalom do? Killed Zamnon. What, ter- what a horrific legacy. And I was determined by God's grace this is not going to be my legacy. And boy, let me tell you, let me tell you, if you don't think to yourself, fathers... Holy smoke, Mark! You're talking about David, who wrote Psalm 23. David, who ruled Israel. David, who God said, "Behold, he's a man after my own heart." If David could miss, then you better get a little shaken going on in your knees and realize I need help. I need God's help because the world—I've told you this before—they're coming after your kids. Some of you are going to need the courage. Now, some of you young people here tonight, you're really going to freak out when I say this. (laughs) Some of you need the courage to decide, my child is never going to have a smartphone, not while they're in my home. I'm dealing with some young people today, not here, that are sending, this is no lie, 9,000 texts a day, a month. That comes out to, I did the math with this person, it comes out to about 300 a day, and if you're awake for... 16 hours, it's a text every 3.3 minutes of every hour. That doesn't count the ones you're receiving. Young people's lives are being dominated, and they can just, with the push of a button, have all the smut and all the crap in the world carried around in their pocket. You think I'm going to have one of my 15-year-olds have one of those? You're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. Does that mean we would not have a flip phone? How am I going to get a flip phone with no data plan? Cause all you really need to do is call me. I don't have one. I'm living without it. I deal with lots of people. I help lots of people. I get a phone. Hello. We live without them. You can get around without them. And then when they learn as they grow older to control certain things and develop habits, good habits, then a little bit at a time, we give. They graduate into greater responsibility. Moms and dads, we have guts. You gotta have guts, man, to confront your children, to love your children, to train your children, to be an example to your children, to earn those children's respect. That's what's critical for a parent. They can smell hypocrisy a mile off. You need to be a humble parent, you need to be an upright parent, you need to be a parent who demonstrates in their own life you're worthy of trust and respect and that you mean what you say, and that you walk the walk. You walk the walk, and there's an enjoyment in your life that your children see in God. I could go on, and I don't have time to go over this, but dads, please think about this. You do not want to be like David as a father. I can't tell you how many men I've dealt with through the years. Fortunately, it hasn't been a lot. I've had a lot of fathers that have done very well because they listen. They listen, but there's other fathers. They just never confronted what they needed to confront. They wouldn't confront them when they were two. They wouldn't confront them when they were three. And now they're having a real hard time confronting them when they're 16. They have no respect. The child does not respect them. And the kid's falling in all kinds of stuff. Next week, we're going to get into the New Testament people that shaped me. And I'm going to talk about one next week, maybe for two weeks I'll do him. And then, of course, I'll get into one of the most significant after that. So let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for the word of God. I thank you, Lord, for David's life. I sincerely mean that. I sincerely mean that, Lord. David has had such an impact on my soul. He has shaped me. The things that he did right shaped me. Lord, the things that he did wrong have shaped me, and I'm so grateful. I'll tell you this, Lord, I really mean this. I I, I feel badly for my siblings that my father left, badly for my mom that he left, but I'll tell you, Lord, you have worked it for such powerful good in my life. You have given me such a driven passion when I needed it so desperately to not be that man, to be a different man, and it shaped me in a wonderful way, and I thank you for it. Bless each individual here tonight. Help them to draw near to you, Lord. Help them to avoid ungodly relationships with the opposite sex. Give them a passionate hatred for evil. And help them to walk and talk honestly with you. In Jesus' name, amen.